Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good evening, everyone. This is a special program today. I usually don't do this at 8 o'clock in the evening, and who knows, I may start doing it again at 8 o'clock in the evening on Sundays. But this is prime time. This is my first uh, program I think I've ever done on prime time on Sunday, because I've been doing this now for almost nine years, and I have over 300 uh, episodes, uh, 300 plus episodes uh, in the archives. So anyway, I'm giving this program because this is something I've been thinking about for a while, and I believe uh, God has given me understanding on how to watch and pray as Messiah has commanded us to do so. This is found in Luke chapter 21, verse 34 to 36. Let's go there. Luke chapter 21, Luke chapter 21, verse 34 to 36. And I'm going to read this in the basic Bible English version for clarity's sake. Luke chapter 21, verse 34 to 36. It says, But give attention to yourselves for fear that your hearts become overfull of the pleasures of food and wine and the cares of this life, and that day may come on you suddenly and take you as in a net. And so what he's telling us, first of all, <clears throat> is to not get into so much of the pleasures of this world. God wants us to enjoy our lives, folks, but not to the point of where we get so wrapped up in that, that the day of the Lord comes upon you suddenly and take you as in a net. And so that tells us that there's going to be a particular generation, and we're going to get into that today to help us understand what generation that Yeshua was talking about in Matthew chapter 24. Most people assume that it was only the first century. It's not, ladies and gentlemen. That is a lie, and I have to preach against lies. So anyway, in verse 35, so he says, For so it will come on all those who are living on the face of the earth. Verse 36, but keep watch at all times with prayer. So we have to pray. We have to continue to pray. Uh, Shaul or Paul states that we should pray without ceasing. And prayer, prayer is simply talking or having a conversation with God. But anyway, he says, but keep watch at all times with prayer that you may be strong enough to come through all these things and take your place before the Son of Man. Now, we have to understand that the Bible was originally written in Greek, 
Aramaic and Hebrew, majority of the Bibles written in Hebrew and Greek. So sometimes we need to go to the original word that was used to find out or give some clarity on what the Master is saying here. So in Luke chapter 21, verse 36, watch, the Greek sense of that means to be sleepless, uh, to keep awake. And I'm looking at a lexicon called the Word Study Dictionary, and it says to sleep, to abstain totally from sleep, to watch, awake, be awake, spiritually to be watchful and attentive to spiritual things. And so that's what it means primarily, ladies and gentlemen. When we look at Mark chapter 13, verse 33, this was in the context of uh, Yeshua talking to his disciples about the latter days or the end times. And he stated here in Mark chapter 13, verse 33, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. And that, <laughs> we don't know, folks. And people, have, they got dates. They're, they're trying to tell me that, oh, this nuclear war won't happen before this. And there's no biblical proof whatsoever that they can show me that uh, God will not allow a nuclear war before the Great Tribulation. He did state uh, through the greatest prophet who ever lived, Yeshua Messiah, that there will be wars and rumors of wars. So among the rumors, there's going to actually be wars. Now, we've had two world wars. We have World War One and World War Two. World War Two introduced the most powerful weapon that man has ever created, the atomic bomb. Now, there's been a, a great lapse since then, a merciful lapse, considering our wickedness, uh, that God has not allowed us to use a nuclear bomb yet. But ladies and gentlemen, I must tell you that we are getting closer, us using a nuclear bomb again. I hope, I really hope we don't, but if this monkey business between Russia and the United States continues, and I hope it stops, because if God is not ready to, to pull the plug, he's not going to pull the plug. But one day, ladies and gentlemen, he is going to pull the plug. And that's what this program is all about. If we are alive when he pulls the plug, when I mean when he allows nuclear bombs to be used again, then we need to know what to do. And so this program is going to biblically and in a common sense way show us what we need to do if we are alive when these things happen. All right? Uh, I look at prophecy in a realistic way. I don't look at it in a fanatical way. Uh, just because Trump allowed 59 missiles uh, to uh, harm Syria does not mean it's the end of the world, and it doesn't mean it's World War III yet. All right. So we need to to not be fanatical about these things, and we need to take things for what they are. Uh, again, Yeshua states plainly in Mark 13, verse 33, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. Well, none of us know when the time is. That's why we must watch. And so that is a commandment, for folks. He says that we must watch. So if we're not watching, we're sinning. And I hear so many people, oh, don't worry about prophecy. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, are we doing what the Master tells us to do? He says, take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. Now, of course, watching primarily is referring to watching spiritually. But it's not just watching spiritually because he states here, and even in 
in, in Luke chapter 21 again, that people are going to be going about their own lives just like in the days of Noah. That's the reason why he stated, let's look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of, of Yah should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. Verse 21, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So he's talking about, of course, living the way of life of the kingdom of God. And at that time, the embodiment of the kingdom of God was right in front of them with the king of Israel standing right in front of them. But the kingdom of God is something that you enter into as well. In verse 22, And he said unto his disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. Verse 23, And they shall say to you, See, hear, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. I've had some uh, one particular false prophet tell me that uh, Yeshua was at a court case. So, but anyway, verse 23, And they shall say to you, See, hear, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. Verse 24, For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part of heaven shines into the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. So in other words, when he comes back, everybody will see him. In verse 25 of Luke chapter 17, he says, But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. In other words, the generation that he was living in at that time, and he was rejected in the first century. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 17, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27, they did eat, they drank, and they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, we have not gotten to the full um, Noah living yet, but he also compared Noah to the days of Lot. He said, likewise, so in similar fashion, also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. In verse 29, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And people tell me this is the first century. No, this is something that will happen in the future because this did not happen in the first century. Ladies and gentlemen, the entire uh, area of J Jerusalem was not destroyed like Sodom was. So this is certainly talking about something that will happen in the future. And let me explain this to you because most people don't understand this. God judges us based on our behavior, ladies and gentlemen. He's, he judges us based on our behavior. Just like he, he mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's, let's turn there. Hebrews chapter 12. People don't understand the process of how God punishes how he always punishes uh, his children, which is the human race. He does that. He, he punishes us, ladies and gentlemen, because he would not be a loving father if he didn't. And so I'm going to read this in the basic Bible English version for clarity's sake, so hopefully you'll understand this. Okay? And so in Hebrews 12, verse 3, in the Bible and basic English version, give thought to him, who has undergone so much of the hate of sinners against himself so that you may not be tired and feeble of purpose. And then verse 4, Till now you have not given your blood in fight against sin, like Yeshua did. Verse 5, And you have not kept in mind the word which says to you as sons, My son, do not make little of the Lord's punishment or discipline. 
and do not give up hope when you are judged by him. Verse 6, for the master sends punishment or discipline on his loved ones. Everyone whom he takes as his son has the experience of his rod. Verse 7, it is for your training that you undergo these things. Yah is acting to you as a father does to his sons. For what son or what son does not have punishment from his father? Verse 8, but if you have not that punishment of which we all have our part, then you are not true sons, but children of shame. And the King James Version says bastards. Verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 12. And again, if the fathers of our flesh gave us punishment and had our respect, how much more will he be under the authority of the Father of Spirits and have life? Verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 12. For they truly gave us punishment for a short time, as it seemed good to them, but he does it for our profit, so that we may become holy as he is. Verse 11, at the time all punishment seems to be pain and not joy, but after those who have been trained by it get from it the peace-giving fruit of righteousness. And so that's the reason why God is going to punish humanity, so that humanity, the majority of humanity, will finally repent, ladies and gentlemen. Love does not only involve hugs and kisses, ladies and gentlemen. Most people don't understand that. Love also involves correction. Love also involves correction, ladies and gentlemen. And that's something that uh, you need to understand. You need to understand. God is not going to uh, sit by and allow us to harm ourselves. He's going to uh, remind us uh, of what we're doing. And he's going to lovingly uh, spank us. And Revelation 3, verse 19 states plainly, As many as I love, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And so correction is a form of love, ladies and gentlemen. And in Proverbs 12, verse 1, it states plainly, Whoever loves of instruction loves knowledge, but he that hates reproof, or correction, is brutish, and that word means stupid. So I'm sure no one that's listening to me wants to be stupid, right? So we need to to be corrected, and you're going to be corrected today in regards of prophecy for those who don't listen to me often. More than likely, you're going to be corrected today on how you view prophecy uh, and how you understand it. I've been studying prophecy for over 30 years, and... What I just read to you about God punishing, he's been doing prophetically that all throughout history. He has always punished humanity. Uh, of course, he punishes more of those who know what they're doing. But he, as a whole, has punished humanity. And he will continue to punish humanity until humanity repents. And the good news is that the Bible reveals that humanity will repent in the future. And, and, and most people will finally get it. All right, but unfortunately, we have to go through hell before that happens, ladies and gentlemen. So, getting back to Luke chapter 21 again. Luke chapter 21. In the Bible and basic English version. And so let me just summarize this again. So we understand that we need to watch and pray, watch and pray, and... Watching also involves prayers. In Ephesians 6, verse 18, it states, 
with prayers and deep desires, making requests at all times in the Spirit, and keeping watch with strong purpose in prayer for all the saints. And then in Hebrews 13, verse 17, we uh, states that uh, the leaders of the assemblies, they watch uh, for the, uh, the people that they watch over. They're concerned about their spiritual condition and their walk. And so another scripture that proves that we need to be watching world events as well as our own spiritual condition is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. I'm going to read this in the King James Version for clarity's sakes. It says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Let me repeat that two more times. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly or completely that the day of the Master comes as a thief in the night. Okay, now what is that referring to? Well, let's turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 16, the thief in the night. That is referring to the sixth vial of the last plagues that's that's going to be thrown on the earth. That's in a future event. In Revelation 16, verse 12, it says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, that's near the area of Iraq, the original location of Babylon, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. These are the kings east of Jerusalem. The book of Revelation, the center geographically, is the land of Israel, or Jerusalem. Verse 13 of Revelation chapter 16, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Verse 14, For they are the spirits of demons, or devils. Working miracles. So it says that demons can work miracles, folks. How else are they going to be able to deceive? So anyway, working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So the day of the Lord is a literal day when the master comes back, when he comes back to rule this earth. In verse 15, behold, and this is what he, he put right here, behold, I come as a thief. And to the most of the population of the world, it's going to be a surprise him coming. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches. Here we go again. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, that he walk naked, that they see his shame. So that walking, that watching is certainly talking about watching your spiritual condition. And if you're watching your spiritual condition, you are not going to be afraid of prophecy, and you're going to be looking at prophecy. Prophecy should motivate you to continue to obey him, not to disobey him. All the prophets talked about the social conditions of society, that we need to feed the poor, that we should help the widow, that we should help the fatherless. All the prophets talked about that. And so in verse 16 of Revelation chapter 16, which is the sixth vial of the, the wrath of God, the wrath of God is not the tribulation. The wrath of God is the seven last plague. That's another Bible study. Verse 16 of Revelation chapter 16, and he gathered them together into the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. For those who need proof of what I just said, that the, the wrath of God is the seven last plagues, not the tribulation, look at Revelation 15 verse 1 and Revelation 16 verse 1. It tells you the Bible definition of the wrath of God. That's the wrath that we are to avoid, not the tribulation. So anyway, that's another Bible study. Um, so... I hope you understand what it means to to watch. You watch your spiritual condition, but you must also watch what's going on in the world because one of us uh, 
what, what, what am I trying to say? Those that are listening to this program, including myself, we may be living through all these things that's going to happen in the future. If, if not us, certainly our children. So, so because I'm 51 right now. So, First Thessalonians 5, verse 3 states the following: For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And that's what happened in the days of Noah. All right. Now, verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, But ye, brethren, are not in the darkness, so we shouldn't be in, in spiritual darkness, that they should t- overtake you as a thief. And this destruction is talking about physical destruction, so we know that the watching also involves watching things, not just our spiritual condition. It involves both. Verse 5, You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the light, night, nor of darkness. Verse 6, Wherefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And watching and being sober is not just being sober spiritually, but also physically in a way of understanding what's going on in the world. Verse 7. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. And verse 9, for God has not appointed us to wrath. And that wrath, he has not appointed us to receive the seven last plagues. And that's true. We will not be on the earth at that time during the seven last plagues. That's another Bible study. Verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, for, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Verse 9, for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Master. All right, so that that should be enough proof to show you that God does not want us being in the dark about world events and that we should be watching world events in addition to watching our spiritual condition, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so so we, we need to to do that, and I hope that that will encourage you to start doing it uh, because we, we all need to do it, ladies and gentlemen. We We all need to do it. And we need to, to start fellowshipping with one another if we can. And in Hebrews 10, verse 25, actually beginning in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10, it states, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, verse 25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so for us to see the day approaching, the day of the Lord, we have to be watching for it. That just makes common sense. That is common sense. All right. <clears throat> so, what were the sins of Sodom that caused God to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, we need, we need to understand that because most people don't understand that. They don't understand what caused him to do it in the first place. So, and, and most people assume it was just homosexuality. It was not just homosexuality, ladies and gentlemen. Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 49. Let's let God tell us through one of his prophets, one of his greatest prophets who ever lived, Ezekiel, what was the sin of Sodom. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 tells us, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness or laziness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me, Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Sounds like the Western nations, in particular the United States to me, because um, 
A lot of Americans got a lot of pride. They're full of bread. They're full of laziness. Uh, and, down, and they don't strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And, and a very proud American pride. And we certainly commit abomination. We lead the world in pornography. And so we are committing the sins of Sodom, ladies and gentlemen. And I tell people this, those who have ears to hear. How long do you think that God is going to put up with us committing the sins of Sodom, ladies and gentlemen? How, how, here's the thing. Turn to Jude chapter 1, or it's only one chapter, verse 7. It states here, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication as having sex before marriage, and also fornication could be spiritual, uh, sleeping with false religion or being involved with false religion, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so that that's what's going to make God destroy a nation or a city or a territory. Uh, when you get to the point of where Sodom and Gomorrah was, where they were just totally not caring about anybody, and it was just totally filth. And ladies and gentlemen, our country, and in particular the Western nations, are getting to that point where a Sodom and Gomorrah destruction can occur. Now, let me just tell you this. God's prophets and what they say can apply today as back then as far as the social, listen to me, please, the social conditions, not the exact same conditions, but based upon people's behavior. That's how God judges is based on our behavior, what we do. Jeremiah 18, verse 7, he says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a goy or a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? And this is talking about any nation, including the United States. Verse 8. If that nation, I had someone tell me, well, it's already been decreed. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It has not already been decreed because God has stated here in his word that any nation, including the United States, can repent. What happened to the nation of Nineveh? They repented, right? There is a whole book about that, the book of Jonah. Jeremiah 18, verse 7. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and destroy it? Verse 8. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn or do shushuba from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. God does not change. And so this applies today as much as it had applied during that time, during Jeremiah's time. And so there is hope for the United States. It has not already been decreed if they repent. Jonah thought it was already decreed for Nineveh being destroyed, but it wasn't. So I must tell you the truth about that. That's why I, I, I quote this scripture a lot, hoping that this message goes to President Trump, goes to other leaders around the world, and so they can change their ways so their nation won't be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. Folks, look, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be frank and honest with you. This world is headed for some destruction. The whole world won't be destroyed, but a vast majority will. The last plague, the seven vial will do the following, right after Yeshua said, I come as a thief. All right? This is what he was talking about, Revelation 16, verse 17. And the seven angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. 
in verse 18. And there, and this is going to happen before he comes back, folks. And there was voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And this is under the assumption that no nation is going to repent. All right? Verse 19. Uh, and the great city was divided into three parts, the cities of the nations that fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before Yah to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now, this is what's going to happen. This is God's words. This is not, you can't put this as an analogy. You can't say, oh, it's just a figuratism or it's just a cartoon. This is not a cartoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to happen. Revelation 16, verse 20, And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. So first of all, God's word is saying that there, there would not be any island on this earth at one time before he comes back, and no mountains. Verse 21, And there fell upon uh, men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. That's about 91 pounds. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague was exceeding great. This is before he comes back, ladies and gentlemen, before. And you've got to understand something, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope I have enough time to, to get, if don't, I'm going to use an extra 30 minutes, but I'll let you know. But Isaiah chapter 13 is pretty plain of what he says, ladies and gentlemen. Isaiah 13, verse 9, it says, Behold, the day of the master comes, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. And so the purpose of him coming back, ladies and gentlemen, is him to destroy sinners. He is going to literally destroy sinners out of the earth. Verse 10, For the stars of heaven and the constellation thereof shall not give her light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And verse 11, And I will punish the world for their evil, for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud, what I just mentioned, that's one of the sins of Sodom, the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Verse 12, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. And verse 13, therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place, and the wrath of the master of hosts, and in the day of his fierce, the world will be so much destroyed, ladies and gentlemen, that there will be not too many people left on the earth. That is the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And so in Isaiah 24, verse 6, it says, Therefore has the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate, therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. That's where we're headed, ladies and gentlemen, unless there's a worldwide repentance, which I do not see happening. Unfortunately, I do not see that happening. People are asleep. People think that things are going to go the way they are. And they don't understand the characteristics of the last days. Let's go over that. What are the characteristics of the last days? If you have a computerized concordance, and if you're going by what I believe is the best word-from-word -word translation in English, the King James Version, then you need to type in, in a computerized concordance, last days. When you do that, you will come across seven characteristics of the last days because each and every place that this word is used it it uh, talks about 
a particular topic. And so I've researched this. You can take a pencil or pen and a piece of paper and write this down. Based on doing this search, the first verse that had the last days in it has something to do with the 12 tribes of Israel, Genesis 49, verse 1. And in that particular chapter, in Bereshit 49, verse 1, Yaakov, or Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, he revealed what each of those 12 tribes are going to be in the last days. So that is very important to understand that. And those tribes have been revealed. I know people have had all kinds of weird theories about who they think they are, but I believe that I know who they are, and, and he has revealed it to me and other people to teach properly uh, who those tribes are. And you need to know who the tribes are, because if you don't know who the tribes are, you're not going to understand Bible prophecy like you should. And so I'm, I'm encouraging you to go to this website, www.britam.org, www.b, as in boy, org and be enlightened and amazed at the information that you see on that website. Uh, and it will tell you who, 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 who it is, really, those tribes. But you must understand who those tribes are for you to understand the prophecies of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, because you will not understand the prophecies of the Bible if uh, you won't understand them fully anyway if you don't understand who they are if you don't understand who they are. So um, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you greatly to do that. And so the Hebrew for that is Aharit Hayamim. Aharit Hayamim. That is that is the days before the coming of the Messiah. The Aharit Hayamim. And so he talks about that. So that's the first characteristic of the last days the identification of the 12 tribes of Israel. That has been fulfilled. We know who they are, um, including the 10 lost tribes. The second characteristic is found in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, and Micah 4, verse 1, the temple of Yah. God has prophesied that the temple will be built in the last days. Now, the last days have begun since the Messiah, based coming to the earth, that is based on Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, In days gone by, God spoke in many and varied ways to the fathers through the prophets. In verse 2, But now in the Aharit Hayamim, or the last days, He has spoken to us through His Son, to whom He has given ownership of everything, and through Him He has created the universe. Okay, so the Aharit Hayamim, has begun in the first century. So for 2,000 years, we have been in the last days, but we are in the latter part of the last days right now. So anyway, the 12 tribes of, of Israel is, one of the, is the first characteristic. The second one is the temple of Yah, the fact that the temple will be built. And we have prophetic proof that that is going to occur. If you go to templeinstitute.org, that organization has been raised up by Yah, for the sole purpose of building the third temple, ladies and gentlemen. And so they are already prepared to do it. It's just that that prophesied war that's in Isaiah chapter 17 and I think it's Jeremiah 49 and also in Psalm 83 has to occur so the temple can be built, ladies and gentlemen. And so that's another characteristic 
of the last days. Many people don't understand where we're at in prophecy. It's because they don't understand the things to look for. You have to have certain things to look for uh, to understand prophecy. He told us to watch, so if he's telling us to watch, then we have to have something to watch for. All right, so Acts 2, verse 17 is the third characteristic of the last days. It's the royal cockadish of the Holy Spirit being poured out on all of mankind. Now, we know that began, and it's Acts 2, verse 17, that began during the time of the first century, but the total fulfillment of it is leads all the way up to the Messiah's second coming. And, of course, the, the, the millennial age. All right. The fourth characteristic is we're living in perilous and trying times. Uh, that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The fifth characteristic, Yeshua is speaking to his servants through the Ruach. This has been going on, as I mentioned, since the first century. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. The sixth characteristic is economic instability, even for the rich. This is found in James chapter 5, verse 1 to 9. Let me read this because most people don't seem to understand this. And another thing that people don't understand, the book of James, James uh, in Hebrew is Yaakov. Yaakov, of course, is linked with Israel because that's what Yaakov's name was originally. Jacob's name was originally Israel. Jacob in Hebrew is Yaakov. And James is taken from Yaakov. All right, so really that book can be called the book of Israel. All right, and to prove my point, the first verse, in this book, is referring to all the tribes of Israel, which were scattered abroad. And at that time, the 12 tribes were considered the Jews because, this is a long story, but uh, the Jews returned back in 586 B.C. The Jews, the tribe of Levi, and Benjamin returned. The first two chapters of Ezra proved that to you. They returned back, not after, after 586 B.C. They returned after 586 B.C., but... Prior to that, in 721 B.C., the ten tribes were taken away by the kingdom of, I, kingdom of Isaria, and very few of them came back. A few of them came back with uh, the Jews, or the tribe of Judah, Levi, and Benjamin. They all merged to become the twelve tribes of Israel, or Israel, at that time. But that doesn't discount the fact that those ten tribes were scattered abroad. And James, of course, realizes this. In the first verse, he says, James, a servant of Yah." And of the Master, Yeshua Messiah, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So this particular book is addressed to all the twelve tribes, or should I say the Western nations today, including the little, man, uh, the little land of Israel in the Middle East. All of them. This is a prophetic book. I'll tell you the reason why I believe it is. Because in James chapter 5, verse 1, it states this, Go to now, you rich men, weep and, and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Okay? Uh... In verse 2, your riches have rotten and your clothes have become moth-eaten. Verse 3, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is the Aharit Hayamim. The Aharit Hayamim. The last days. This is the last days. And you have been storing up wealth. And so this is talking about the last days. Verse 4, listen. The wages you have fraudulently withheld from workers who mold your fields are calling out against you and the outcries of those who harvested reached the, the ears of Adonai Zavat, all right, or the God of armies. Verse 5, you have led a life of luxury and self-indulgence here on earth. 
In a time of slaughter, you have gone on eating to your heart's content. You are condemned. You have condemned. You have murdered the innocent. They have not withstood you. And so this is linked. Or verse 7, it says, So brothers, be patient until the master comes. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, and he is patient over it until he receives the fall and spring rains. All right? And so the fall uh, rains and the spring rains has something to do with the observance of all the, the holy days that we observe. It's for those who do are listening to me. And so in verse 8, you too be patient. Keep up courage for the master's return is near. And so this is interesting because it's telling us when we see all this oppression, when we see uh, the tribes of Israel so rich, so that gives you another clue of who those tribes are. They're, they're the richest people on the earth. When we see all this, the division between the rich and the poor, we know that the master's return is near. I don't know of anyone preaches that message. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you won't come under condemnation. Look, the judge is standing at the door. And so he's standing at the door amongst all this oppression. And the book of Malachi points out, and I know I'm going to need more than an hour, <laughs> uh, so, but I'm going to do the best I can. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. And it talks about I'm sending a messenger to clear the way. And many people really they understand that it was talking certainly about John the Baptist, but in verse 2 and 3 and 4, Yeshua did not appear to his people like that. He did not appear uh, like refiner's fire and so forth. So that's certainly talking about his second coming. And, and what proves that based upon the scripture I just quoted you in Malachi 3 verse 5, then I will approach you for judgment and I will be quick, a quick, be quick to witness against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against those who take advantage of wage earners. That's what I was just talking about in James. Same prophecy. And it's dated for the last days before the coming of the Messiah. The, the take advantage of wage earners, widows, and orphans against those who rob the foreigner of his rights and don't fear me. And so that's one of the major reasons why he's coming, ladies and gentlemen, to end the oppression, the end all of that oppression, ladies and gentlemen. That's the reason why he's coming back. That's one of the major reasons why he's got to come back, that he wants to come back, because he's tired of seeing people uh, suffer. And in Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, The spirit of Adonai Elohim is come upon me, because Adonai has anointed me to announce the good news to the poor, the pasar, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to let out into light those bound in the dark. And so that's one of the major reasons why he's coming, to save mankind from poverty. Eighty percent of the people in the world live on less than $10 a day, ladies and gentlemen. There's a prophecy in Proverbs chapter 30 that hardly no one quotes. I never hear anyone quote this. And I don't know why God asked me to do it, but I'm doing it. Proverbs chapter 30, verse uh, 14. There is a generation. Okay, that gives us a clue. He said, this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. What generation is that? We're going to cover that today, too. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And for clues about the particular generation he was talking about, Proverbs 30, verse 11, there is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. 
Verse 12, there is a generation that is pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Verse 13, there is a generation of how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. And then verse 14, there is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. You tell me what generation that is. You tell me what generation that is. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no generation but our generation. It is our generation that we are living in right now. That is the answer to your question as far as that's concerned. What generation is he, was he referring to? Well, he said it will not come to pass for all these things be fulfilled. It is our generation. Verse 7, people doubting the return of Yeshua Messiah. This is something I get all the time. I get it frequently. People, and this is the seventh characteristic. People doubting the return of Yeshua Messiah. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 to 4. I've got to read this one. 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, verse 3 to 4. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts. Verse 4 saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Anyway, <laughs> and so that's what they say. I'm just trying to be funny, you know, but, but that, that's what they say, you know. Well, Nothing's happened. All the prophecies from the first century. Uh, verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Verse 6. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition, of ungodly men, ladies and gentlemen. You know, that has not happened yet, ladies and gentlemen. That kind of destruction that God is prophesying will occur has not happened yet, what other people want to believe. Isaiah 66, verse 15 states, For behold, the Master will come with fire. He's going to come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind. That's why in Malachi chapter 3 he's going to be coming He's going to be coming like refiner's fire. He didn't come that way, that way in the first century. So that's the reason why there has to be another Elijah coming. Isaiah 66, verse 15, For behold, the master will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. And verse 16, For by fire and by sword will the master plead with all flesh, and the slain of the master shall be many. That's how he's going to come back, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what's described in Malachi chapter 3. Sure, his first coming was a type. But remember, he came first time as a <laughs> lamb. When he comes back again, he's going to be like, Roar! like a lion. He's going to come back as a lion. And he's not going to tolerate anybody disobeying him. Psalm chapter 2 tells you that. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why did the heathen rage? This is a prophecy, and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves up, and the rulers take counsel together against the master and against his anointed. Let us break their bands together and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. He's laughing right now because nobody can beat him. The master shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. Verse 7, I will declare the decree. The master has said to me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. In verse 8, Ask of me, and I shall give thee of the heathen for thy inheritance, 
and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That has not happened yet. Verse 9, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. That has not happened yet. And thou shalt dash them into pieces like potter's vessels. I don't see flesh flying all over the place yet, all over the world. It's going to happen, though, verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the master with fear and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, kiss the son, that he be not angry, and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled, it doesn't say a lot, but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. That's the kind of master that we're going to have when he comes back. Now, he's going to still be merciful, but he's going to execute judgment immediately. He's going to execute judgment immediately because he's given us a lot of time to do it our way. And he said, okay, well, your way is not working, so we're going to do it my way. And his way is going to be fair, and he's going to wipe out wickedness, and we're going to like it. His way works. Our way doesn't. Or should I say the devil's way doesn't work. That's the way that we have all inherited that we must get rid of, ladies and gentlemen. And so I talked about the characteristics, and those are the things that we should be looking for, ladies, and that, that defines the characteristics. And the number one thing we should be looking at right now is we should be monitoring, thing, monitoring, rather, monitoring people's attitudes and their behavior, the world's behavior. The second thing that we should monitor is what's going on right now as I'm speaking in Syria because the Bible prophesies that Damascus will no longer be a city. Isaiah 17, verse 1, The burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. That has never happened in the history of the world, ladies and gentlemen. And so that's the thing that we need to look at because that's going to be, if you read the rest of that, that's going to be a catalyst for other things. To occur, And the temple must be built. That's one of the characteristics of the last days. So those are the things that we need to look for. Now, as far as the generation, I've given you clues already about the social condition and people's behavior that will pinpoint the generation that we are living in. Because back then, it wasn't like that. Today it is. There's a, a divide between the rich and the poor, which really began back in the 1800s with the invention of the steamboat. And that's when we started to get industrialization occurred, and that's when we started to get a big division between the rich and the poor. And then Yeshua said a kingdom divided against itself, a divided, a kingdom divided cannot stand. And so we're on the brink of destruction. And so what I want you to understand before I, I give you some clear definition of what generation he's talking about, uh, without a prophetic vision, this is, this is found in Proverbs 29, verse 18, without a prophetic vision, the people throw off all restraint, but he who keeps Torah is happy. And so understanding prophecies is a part of keeping Torah, ladies and gentlemen. In Revelation 19, verse 10, it tells us we have the spirit of prophecy. So if we don't have the spirit of prophecy, then you have to question whether or not you have his spirit, because those who have his spirit are not afraid of prophecy. Uh, despise not prophesying, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20. And so those are things that you need to understand. Now, the big question, what generation was Messiah talking about when he said the following? In Matthew chapter 24, because people are confused by this, and I'm going to unconfuse you, I hope, quickly in the, in the next seven minutes here. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, he talked about all these destructive things that are going to happen in this chapter. All right, He talked about horrendous things that are going to happen. And and he, he talked about the tribulation, and he talked about all these other things. Now, the Matthew 24, verse 32, when people, 
when they read this parable, they automatically think of Israel, and I understand that. However, you need to literally understand what he was saying. Okay, Matthew 24, verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. So he's, he's making an analogy here. So likewise, he didn't say anything about Israel. He's just saying likewise, when you shall see all these things, what things? The things that he was talking about in this chapter. Know that it is near, even at the doors. And one of the things that I showed you, which he talked about, was poverty. Uh, people not caring about one another. The lack of many shall wax cold. Okay? Those are one of the things that he talked about. And then in verse 34, he says, Verily I say unto you, this generation, he wasn't talking about his generation in, uh, toward the last days. He's talking about our generation. This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Okay? And so... Now, we need to understand in a number of ways, what is a generation? Well, if we go to Psalm 90, verse 10, Psalm 90, verse 10, and I'm going to extend this program another 30 minutes because this is a very important program because I don't know what's going to happen, folks. Uh, I don't know when, and I'm not going to pretend to know. I don't know when and if uh, nuclear bombs are going to occur. That's why I have to watch. I have to watch and see. But I'm telling you one thing, I'm going to be prepared, and I suggest you be prepared. And there are documents online that you can get to prepare. Um, get this document, uh, How to Prepare for a Nuclear War. Just type it in Google and download it and do what it says. Uh, I'm not trying to scare you, but even FEMA tells us we should be ready for any emergencies, including a nuclear holocaust or a nuclear war. And God will protect us. Yes, Psalm 91, he will protect us, but... Uh, he expects us to do all we can, too. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's uh, 70. And that by reason of strength, fourscore years. So that's 80. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So that gives us the years, 70, 80. And then we also have to include, because Yeshua said his coming would be like the days of Noah. Uh, and, and God stated during those times that... Um, man would have only 120 years. So we have to include those three years to get somewhat of an estimate of how long this is. Been. Now, where do we start counting? Well, this is an interesting statement on how do we begin counting or where do we begin counting. And I'm going to, and I think this is the first time I ever gave this teaching on Blog Talk Radio. But I'm going to take you back to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 11. Because many people don't make this connection probably because they have not been taught this. And so if I go off the air, um, well, I will go off the air, so I'm going to have to continue on with this because this is very important. This will help you understand what generation we're living in right now. And I just hope you believe what I'm telling you. I'm not asking you for money. I'm not trying to sell anything. Uh, if you want to give to this ministry, I would appreciate it, but that's not my sole purpose. My sole purpose is to give you valuable, priceless information that will help you to to really understand the Bible. That's the purpose of these programs, all right? So let's understand this. So let's go to Genesis. Genesis. Uh, and I'm going to go slow with this so you can understand. And I'm developing a PowerPoint presentation that I'm going to put online for free. Uh, I'm developing an entire PowerPoint presentation of the book of Revelation. 
that I hope that you'll be blessed by it, and I hope it really will help you and, and clarify a lot of things and a lot of your questions. I've studied the book of Revelation for over 30 years, and this is one of the gifts that I can give humanity um, as I get older here. I'm 51 years old. I don't know how much longer I have. I hope I'm, I can live up to 80. We'll see. But anyway, the question is, are we in the last days? And I think I've already answered that question, but I think after this it will even convince you more if you still are in doubt. Now, I'm going to read this scripture. This is found in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 to 9. I'm reading it in a New American Standard Bible version of the Bible. And I want you to, to really pay attention to this because I don't know if anyone has ever taught this before. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they propose to do will be impossible. I'm going to repeat this three more times. All right. Number one, before I repeat it, I want you to understand something. Number one, the whole world was of one language. They were somewhat ihad or immunity. And they were trying to build a temple or some stru structure to reach into heaven, okay? So this is what they all plan to do. And this is what God realized here. He says, and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing, and he means nothing, now nothing which they propose to do will be impossible for them. Let me repeat that again. And now nothing which they propose to do will be impossible for them. Let me repeat this again. And God stated at that time, after Noah, which is pretty interesting, after the flood, and now nothing which they propose to do will be impossible for them. So that's, this, is the, this is the origin of the different languages. This is the reason why he did it, because he wasn't ready for man to get to a point where there was nothing impossible for them to do. That's why he scattered the languages. I want you to understand that fact first. So come... Let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the masters scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, his name was called Babel, which means confusion in Hebrew, because there the master confused the language of the whole earth. So that gives you the biblical definition of it. And from there the masters scattered them abroad over the face of the entire earth. Okay, I have about 57 seconds left. And so I want you to understand that God was not ready for mankind at that time to tap into knowledge where there would be nothing impossible for them to do on a physical level. All right, so let me quote something from The Fate of the Earth. This is a book, not a popular book because it involves the reality of nuclear bombs, but it's a good book, and I haven't read the whole book, and I've read a few pages, and I keep it as a reference book. So the fate of the earth, page 11, by Jonathan Scale. All right? And he stated, President Truman, President Harry Truman was speaking to the point, well, let me um, let you know that this is the time of the program where it's going to be going off the air. For those who are listening to me live, please listen to the remainder of this in the archives. Shalom. Okay. Um, I'm in the uh, recorded session of the program here. So President Harry Truman was speaking to the point when in his announcement that the United States had dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima or Hiroshima. 
you can pronounce it either way, he told the world that the basic power of the universe had been harnessed. Now, prior to this, we did not harness the basic power of the universe. Remember what God said. He said, even during the times of the Tower of Babel, that they had reached a point where if he didn't scatter their languages, they would be capable, they would be capable of doing whatever they wanted to do. Nothing would be impossible for them because they were all one, and they all had one language. And so he wasn't ready yet because there, there were other prophecies that had to be fulfilled. Certainly the most important prophecy had, that had to be fulfilled was the coming of the Messiah. And so that's why he had to scatter their languages to delay the inevitable uh, knowledge explosion that happened in, in our modern era. So anyway, President Harry Truman was speaking to the point when in his announcement that the United States had dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima or Hiroshima, he told the world that the basic power of the universe had been harnessed for war by the United States and added that the force from which the sun draws its powers has been loose against those who brought war to the Far East. And there's a video, too, that you can look at on Google where you can actually hear what he said. Now, the doomsday clock has been moved now two minutes and 30 seconds to, mi uh, to midnight. And that's an important thing to understand. And I'm going to read you a short history, a synopsis of the doomsday clock. Most people don't talk about this, and I don't hear most ministers talking about it, but it's reality, folks. The Doomsday Clock is the invention of the Bulletin of Atomic Sciences, a publication started by some of the researchers who worked on the atomic bomb. The wife of one of these researchers, Marto Lansdorf, was a painter. In 1947, she illustrated the first bulletin cover to feature the Doomsday Clock set at the point of 11.53 p.m. This is symbolic, of course. Lansdorf died in March 2013, but her creation lives on. In January 2012, the bulletin's board set the minute hand of the clock at 11.55 p.m., one minute closer to midnight than the previous year. The decision was made based on the current state of nuclear arsenals around the world. This is found on the article, Doomsday Clock Set at 5 to Midnight, of Fox News. All right, so, but that was back then. This is a lot closer today. At two minutes and 30 seconds. So anyway, there's an interesting scripture in Job that seems to indicate that it's referring to this concept of at midnight destruction. Job 34, verse 20, it says, In a moment shall they die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away. Now, that, that's, that's certainly a description of what nuclear bombs can do, folks. And the mighty shall be taken away without hand. In Matthew 24, verse 21 to 22, to help us answer the question of what generation this is, uh, in addition to all the other things I stated, uh, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. There's no way on earth we would have had that capability back during the days of the first century, folks and prior to 1945. All right, so that should tell you not only is it the generation of, of, of oppression, of worldwide oppression, it's also the, the nuclear bomb generation. And he stated that that generation shall not come to pass, and it hasn't, 
until all these things have been fulfilled. All right, so Isaiah 24, verse 6, I already explained to you that uh, it states that the inhabitants of the earth will be burned and few men are left. Of course, other plagues will cause burning, but certainly nuclear bombs will, will contribute to that. And then Daniel 7, verse 23, then he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall thread it down and break it in pieces. So the beast, not God, but the beast, is going to thread down the earth and break it in pieces. That's, that's only one weapon that I know that can do that, and that's nuclear bombs. And so God has symbolically told us that nuclear bombs certainly will be used unless there's a miracle, and miracles do happen, where nations will repent, in particular the nuclear bomb nations. So let's understand the characteristics of the last days again. The 12 tribes of Israel, the temple of Yah. I'll quote the scriptures. Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, Genesis 49, verse 1. The temple of Yah, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, Micah 4, verse 1. The Royal Chalkadish, the Holy Spirit being poured out on all of mankind. Acts 2, verse 17, and dangerous and trying times, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Yeshua speaking to his servants, Hebrews 1, verse 2. This has been going on since the first century. Number 6, economic instability, even for the rich, James 5, verse 1 to 9. And number 7, people doubting the return of Yeshua Messiah, 2 Peter 3, verse 3 to 4. Those are the characteristics of the last days, and those are the things to look for to understand that we are in the last days. And the first characteristic, that's a prophecy of uh, telling us that people will know who those tribes are. Uh, there are some people on the earth, including myself, who know who they are. All right, so the fate of the earth, pages 12 to 13, states the following about Einstein. Einstein, a Jew, stated in 1950 that radioactive, I quote, uh, that radioactive poisoning of the atmosphere, and hence annihilation of any life on the earth has been brought within the range of technical possibilities. All right, so back in the 1950s, an Einstein, a Jew, stated that annihilation of any life, which would be what Yeshua stated in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, he stated there will come a time in man's history that if he didn't come and stop it, all of mankind would be annihilated. And we have been living in those times, ladies and gentlemen, since 19, in the 1950s. So that's where you begin to count. That's when you can kind of estimate. We don't, we don't know exactly. We have, we have to count from 70, 80, or 120 years. That will give us the span of time. Now, he said that no one knows the day or the hour, and even he doesn't know. But he, but he did state that in Matthew 24, verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of this world to this time, nor ever shall be. In verse 22, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. What days? The days of other oppression around the world where 80% of the population lives on less than $10 a day. A generation where we can destroy each other off the face of the earth, the nuclear bomb generation. And so that's the generation where he stated that. Uh, it won't come to pass until all these things be fulfilled. Okay, and that, that's what he stated. And we have to believe what he said. He's, and in verse 20, uh, 34 of Matthew 24, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass. What generation? The nuclear bomb generation, the generation of utter poverty and oppression around the world. Prove 
by the statistical fact that 80% of all people live on less than uh, $10. And for proof of that, if you need proof, uh, go to my Merciful Servants of God website, Merciful Servants of God website, and I'm trying to type it up in here now so you can go to this website and prove it for yourself, what I just said. And if you go to my website, Merciful Service of God, and, and click on Poverty Facts on the left, it'll take you to what I believe to be the world's best website in giving you the, the truth about the social, political, and economic and environmental issues that affect us all, www.globalissues.org. And when you go right to the Poverty Facts and Stats section, he states here, almost half the world, over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. You tell me that's not a fulfillment of that generation that devours the poor off the face of the earth. It is. And then another statistic that it can be found from, um, it's just, uh, let's see, where is it here? Okay, I'm trying to find the, uh, the reference to this. But anyway, this website has all the uh the uh, footnotes of where he's gotten all this information from, but at least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day, and and that that is uh, certainly a sad fact, ladies and gentlemen. So um, it's, it's it's unfortunate, and that is the status of the world at this at this time. All right, so. Um, so I've gone over the characteristics of the last days, and we, we, we're working on the generation here, how, how to understand what generation we're living in. And so I, re, I, I read that to you from Einstein. Now, and I read to you another Jew. These are two Jews, one perfect, the one one who is uh, Yodhevahe in the flesh. Yeshua, a Jew, stated in the first century about mankind's future capability of destroying humanity. So I'm going to stress this again. But then shall there be great tribulation, such as what not since the beginning of the world to this time. Nor ever shall be, and except those days should be short, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days should be shortened. And so that, that's what we've got to understand. And I'm going to read this from the... Uh, this is uh, an interesting statement. This is from Disarmament, A Basic Guide, pages 14 to 15 by, by Scar Menon. And this was written um, at the turn of the 21st century, 2001. And this is interesting that this was written at that particular period of time. And so I'm going to read this to you. And this is something that most people don't focus on. Most people don't even tell you these things. You have to research these things. Anyway, I quote, The most dangerous weapons in the world are nuclear, which use the enormous amounts of energy released when the nucleus of a heavy Atoms such as uranium or plutonium is split in a chain reaction of fission or when isotopes of a light element such as hydrogen combine in a thermonuclear bomb, fusion. The nuclear bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, each with the explosive power of 20,000 tons of dynamite, 20 kilotons, have been dwarfed. And so that has been dwarfed, ladies and gentlemen. By the 1970s, the Soviet Union and the United States, which have 98%, of the world's nuclear weapons had in their arsenals thousands of 25 megaton warheads. A megaton is equivalent to a million tons of TNT. Far more powerful thermonuclear bombs have been tested. And so it is not only the enormous destructive power of nuclear weapons that argues against their use. They also release deadly radiation, extremely poisonous isotopes created by the nuclear explosions, 
will remain a danger for many thousands of years, and the material will not stay confined to the area of conflict. It will get into the planet's life processes and be carried by wind and wave to distant areas, eventually poisoning all of the Earth. The far-flung threat of radioactive fallout from atmospheric testing was the main reason why a partial test ban was agreed upon in 1963. A major nuclear war could also throw up such a cloud of dust into the atmosphere as to block out the sun and create a prolonged nuclear winter that would devastate that would devastate life on Earth. So this is from an article that I suggest everyone look and, and, and at least look over and briefly read certain parts. Disarmament: A Basic Guide by Bosker B as in Boy H A S K A R Menon. Capital M as in Mother, E-N-O-N, by the United Nations. Okay, so this is also from that book, yeah, from that uh, document. It says, the nature and implements of war have changed more dramatically in the last 100 years than in all of preceding human history. So let me quote this again. The nature and implements of war have changed more dramatically in the last 100 years than in all of preceding human history, before the 20th century, before the 20th century, before the 20th century, few countries maintained armies of more than 50,000, and they were armed with weapons that limited damage to the immediate vicinity of conflict. Although war has always been a barbarous activity that took a significant collateral civilian toll, the majority of those killed and wounded in pre-20th century conflicts were active combatants. Okay, so let's understand that, because most people don't understand that. In, in the 19th century, Europe with his mercenary soldiery, when the economic and political benefits of victory could outweigh costs, war was seen as a rational and indeed necessary instrument of state policy. All right, so let's understand that. In contrast, 20th century wars have been struggles encompassing entire societies. As weapons with ever more indiscriminate destructive power came into use. Long-range artillery, the bomber, the intercontinental ballistic missile, which is the device that helps the, the nuclear warhead travel to a, a long distance, chemical, uh, bacteriological, and nuclear weapons, battlefields expanded until they quite lost the original meaning. Entire countries and regions were embattled. In the Second World War, unarmed, unarmed merchant shipping became game for submarines and terror bombing of popular cities were routine, culminating in the use of nuclear weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This is on page two of Disarmament, a Basic Guide. And so those are the facts, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to continue on with these facts because you need to know them. As a result, and this is from the United Nations, folks, a credible source. As a result of these developments, the 20th century was the most militarized and bloodiest period of human history. Let me repeat this. As a result of these developments, the 20th century was the most militarized and bloodiest period of human history. Let me repeat that again. The 20th century was the most militarized and bloodiest period of human history. There were 63 million soldiers engaged in the First World War, and it left 10 million dead. For the Second World War, 107 million soldiers were mobilized, and its toll was so enormous that there are only estimates of the dead anywhere from 30 to 60 million. Okay, so First World War, Second World War, what do you think the Third World War is going to do, ladies and gentlemen, with nuclear warheads, uh, nuclear bombs? 
disarmament a basic guide. All right, so that gives you the facts there about the nuclear bomb generation started between 1945 and 1947. Albert Einstein, who was a Jew, stated we had reached the capability to destroy humanity with the creation of the thermonuclear bomb in, in, in the 1950s. The United States, in the fall of 1952, exploded the first thermonuclear bomb, and this is uh, found on page 12 to 13 of The Fate of the Earth by Jonathan Skill. So, the Bible reveals a human being's years to be the following. 70 years, Psalm 90, verse 10. 80 years, Psalm 90, verse 10. 120 years, that's Genesis 6, verse 3, the days of Noah. Now, Yeshua told us that his second coming will be similar to the days of Noah. Of course, we haven't reached the full-blown um, scenario of the days of Noah, but just like the days of Noah, there were a number of years uh, where Noah preached before the destruction, and that's what some people don't understand. And so the days of we, we certainly are in the days of Noah. We just have not reached the full um, extent of it yet, but it certainly has begun. I don't agree with people that teach that. Excuse me. I don't agree with people that teach that it has not begun yet because there are certain common elements <laughs> that is similar to the behavior of the days of Noah and Lot because he compared Lot with the days of Noah, in particular the sins of Sodom. The United States and the other Western nations, when I say Western nations, Canada, countries in Northwestern Europe, South Africa, Australia, they fit the description perfectly of all those sins. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I just hope that you understand how to watch, what to look for. And you need to be prepared for a possible nuclear strike on this country. Again, I, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says God will stop a nuclear war before the tribulation. I, I don't see that. I don't see that, ladies and gentlemen. And so we know the doomsday clock has been moved. It was three minutes. Now is at 2 minutes and 30 seconds. And that clock was created to let everyone know how close we are to fulfilling what Matthew chapter 24, verse 22 stated, that we'll get to a point where we, no flesh should be saved alive. And that's when Yeshua has to step in and stop everything, and he will. And so we have to watch. We can't. There's a scripture in Proverbs 22, verse uh, 3. Let me read this to you. Proverbs 22. And I just hope you pass this on to other people. I truly love everybody. I care about people just like God, and I don't want to see anybody suffer unnecessarily. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 3, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So, so God wants us to know these things. He wants us to know, sure, he's going to protect us, but he expects us to do something too. I think that's only fair. And so uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it states, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, think things not seen as yet. And right now you're being warned by me and a few others on this earth that understand what I understand about uh, how to really understand prophecy. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned of Yah, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is about faith. So Yeshua again stated that these times that we're living in today are similar to the days of, of Noah and Lot. 
And so we, we have to also do what Noah did. We have to do the best we can to save our family physically, but more important than physically, spiritually, because some of us can die next year. Some of us can die tomorrow. And if that happens, the, the concern is uh, saving us et- uh, spirit-wise. And Isaiah 57 verse 1 states, The righteous perish and no man lay it to heart, and the merciful men are taken away, not considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. And verse 2, He shall enter into peace, they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. And so, I recommend highly, and I don't agree with everything that this guy has written, but it's the best prophecy book. I I believe in most of the things. Uh, The thing that I I certainly don't believe is that it's optional to keep Torah, uh, keep the Sabbath and Holy Days. That's something that that's his opinion about, you know, and I don't think it's my opinion. I, I believe that God wants everyone to keep his, his Torah. But other than that, it's a good book, and I recommend you uh, read it. It's, uh, go to his website. It's escapeallthesethings.com, escapeallthesethings.com, escapeallthesethings.com. He has the best chart that I've ever seen, um, although I, I don't agree with him thinking that we need to wait to 2024. Um, I I think he even said in the book that we have to look at events, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at events. I'm not going to pretend to know. Well, I don't know if he's pretending or not, but I'm not going to act like I know uh, for certainly that God won't allow a nuclear strike here in, in this country or any other country. I'm not going to pretend to, to know that because I don't. Uh, all I can do is watch because we don't know the time, like he said. However, that doesn't mean that we can't get a guesstimation or an estimation. We'll all know when to count. Once the tribulation begins in Daniel chapter 12, when the sacrifices are stopped, that's when we can start counting, 1,290 days. Okay? That's when we start to count, if, if we are alive at that point. If not us, then it'll be our kids. But... That's when we'll be able to count and, and even guesstimate more accurately. But God wants us to have a sense of when things are going to occur. But we, we really don't know exactly when, ladies and gentlemen. And I think I'm going to give another study going into detail about watching and what Yeshua stated about how he's going to come. But matter of fact, I think I can go over that briefly here. Um, let me see. About the watching part here. Let's see if I can find it here. Because uh, I went over that, and there's another thing I need to go over as far as the, the watching, what he stated about how to watch. And one of the ways you can watch is learn how to keep uh, his holy days, ladies and gentlemen. you, you got to learn how to do that um, because when you understand his holy days, you'll understand uh, his plan. You'll understand his plan. All right, so in Matthew 24, verse 42 to 44, it states this, Watch therefore for you do not know what hour your master is coming. And know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Because of this, be ready too. For the son of Adam is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. So, in other words, he's, he's expecting us to, to, to have a sense of when he's coming. We're not going to know exactly uh, what second or what day he's coming. 
front, we can get a good estimation of it. All right? And that's what he wants us to do. That's what he wants us to do. All right, and Revelation 3, verse 3 proves this. It says here, Remember then how you have received and heard and watched and repent. If then you do not wake up, I shall come upon you as a thief, and you shall not know at all what hour I came upon you. See, so that tells us that we have the capability of at least having a sense of when he's going to come. All right? Uh, Matthew 24, verse 45 to 47 says, Who then is a trustworthy and wise servant whom his master set over his household? to give them food in season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, having come, shall find doing. Truly I say to you that he shall set him over all his possessions. And here's another scripture. Um, In Matthew 24, verse 48 to 51. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant shall come on a day when he does not expect it, and at an hour he does not know. Here we go again. So he expects us to have a sense, those who are living when these things would occur, and shall cut him in two and appoint him uh, his portion with the hypocrites. Okay, here's, here's another one, Mark 13, verse 32 to 34. But concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, but not even the messengers in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. As a man going abroad, having left his house and given authority to his servants and to and to uh, each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. So he, And he says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening or at midnight or at the crowning of the crock or in the morning. That not coming suddenly, he should find you sleeping. And what, and what I say to you all, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So that proves it wasn't just for the first century. He's telling us to everybody. He's telling us to watch. He's telling us to watch. I'm trying to break this down as easy as I can so that you understand this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so I've explained this to you, and I suggest you go and get that document, How to Prepare for a Nuclear War. I'm not trying to scare you, but... Uh, it could happen, ladies and gentlemen. God could allow a nuclear strike in this country. And so we, we've got to realize that we have quite a few nuclear bombs uh, that are housed uh, by the United States and Russia and China and other nations, including Israel, and we're living in perilous times. And so I hope this program has been educational for you. I didn't try to scare you, uh, but I'm telling you that you need to have a balance as far as watching. You watch your, your spiritual condition. Also, watch your physical condition and realize that he will come back, and he's going to come back in this generation. And I hope I prove that to you at least. So may Yah bless and keep you, and Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold... The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, 
saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 